Welcome to the Blue Deal Project podcast. I'm here with Nolan. Super excited to have you. Thanks for having me. This is your first time tuning in. So happy that you've joined us for tonight's discussion. Yeah, thank you. I would love for you to intro yourself. Usually this seems like a sales pitch, so I don't really know how to identify myself. But if I were to put myself in a nutshell, my name is Nolan Begley. I am a lot of things. <laughs> I'm a lot of things. And I try not to fall victim to that uh, jack of all trades, master of none, because I feel like I'm pretty freaking good at some of the things that I do. You are. Uh, thank you. Thank you. But if I were to say what they are is that I am a, um, I'm a photographer and filmmaker more of like a, an artist, if you will. People like to call me creatives, but it's, I feel like that's a pretty lame umbrella term for it, but that's just what it is. I'm also a boxing coach. I've been a boxing coach for probably four or five years now. I've been boxing myself for just over a decade and it's a huge part of my identity because it's, uh, it's a way that I get to like channel out a lot of my, my own demons, which I guess we'll touch up on later on. But all that, I'm also managing a coffee shop and I plan on buying my own and starting my own up in the next couple of years. So how they all tie in together, I'm not too sure yet, but I know that one day they will. And I'm going to do really fucking well at it. But um, yeah, I'm also depressed and have a lot of anxiety. So (laughs) that also ropes it all in. I mean, that's, yeah, that's me. That's my intro. I love that beautiful, honest intro so good thank you and also i was thinking as you were explaining even if they never tie back into each other it doesn't even matter because you know you are who you are and you're doing what makes you happy and fulfilled and that's what matters the most in my opinion absolutely i also love that like great vision you have for your life and I'm always here to support you and encourage you on your journey. And it's been such a pleasure to do that so far. So I know we've known each other for four years now, maybe five. Something like yeah. that. We met at a local restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll mention the name. <laughs> met at a local restaurant. I think I was just leaving and you were, you had just gotten hired. Mm-hmm. Here's a good, side story but connected I always credit you for being the OG my OG like my day one because we were sitting at the bar look uh, I was asking you what I should name what ended up being the move to heal project I was running the names by you mm-hmm. and with when I said what about the move to heal project you said I like that one <laughs> yeah I also remember me having a beer and you having kombucha instead. Yeah. And I was like, what's the dynamic here? I'm not <laughs> sure. Which is so funny. I mean, I think I just had it because we had it on tap and I wanted to try it mm-hmm. on tap. But I would definitely pick beer now. <laughs> <laughs> not to slam kombucha or anything, but yeah. I would definitely pick beer now. But that's a little background on Nolan and I. And we're coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I always forget mm-hmm. to say the location, you know, thinking that we don't have international listeners, but we definitely do, which is really cool. So that is very cool. Nolan and I, we did a panel back in March and Nolan shared a little bit of his own story on the panel. <laughs> Nolan and I have been working together since we met, but this panel was on grit, resilience and overcoming obstacles. And Nolan talked a lot about toxic masculinity in that panel which garnered a lot of feedback. I got a lot of messages about that after. I think it's something that is really important to shed light on 
We're here to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that today. To get the ball rolling from a scholastic standpoint, I did pull open the... the read that definition, girl. Read it. <laughs> <the definition. laughs> I can't even say it. Of toxic masculinity. Actually, this is the Wikipedia definition, but the concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. Isn't that a shame? Yeah. And Jeez, what a shame. let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I mean, first category, like we've divided this into three different categories, toxic masculinity on the day-to-day, toxic masculinity in regards to families, and then lastly, in regards to media. Before we hop into the day-to-day, like, did you have anything that you wanted to add in regards to that definition? How would you describe it? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here so you don't have to answer right away. I'll answer, yeah, no. Um obviously having a, a scholarly as wikipedia is of a resource to talk about it i feel like it's it's a very simple concept you're essentially told to be to fall into these tropes of being a man and you be you are shamed for not following through with those tropes so like if we were to hash them out really quickly it's men are supposed to be strong they're not meant to be emotive they're meant to be the breadwinner they're meant to be you know this forceful person and structure that is strong and able to do everything completely on their own without asking for help and even if they do it is a part of like swallowing their own pride because men don't really ask for help mm-hmm. and that comes in so many different forms too and it, i really think that it all starts within your home which is why I think it's important that we start in the family sector, like where it even comes from. Like historically, going back to, this is a concept that has been from the beginning of, I don't know, For, civilization when it comes to yes. men and women, you know, it's been something that's been forever. And now it's only now within the last five, six years has been part of conversation. And we've actually put a, a definition to it, which mm-hmm. is pretty incredible and you know, to fix anything, you first need to identify it and give it a name. So here we are, you know. Let's start then, not in the day-to-day, but maybe in the family sec. I mean, let's mm-hmm. start with how it goes back to family. I'm definitely in agreement with you on that. However, I'm interested in learning more from what you have to say, because <clears throat> like for me, I have a twin brother. We were raised by my mom. So I actually feel like having not had a dad present in the household, maybe that's, it affected both of us in different ways. Shout out to my brother if you're listening. I think my brother's like super sensitive and (laughs) emotional and I love that about him. He's so sweet. But uh, if you want, if you feel okay sharing um, with your own family and how that. um... Yeah, for sure. Like, so I come from a very fortunate position in terms of my parents still being together. I think they're 25 years plus now being together or something. No. So long. Yeah, something like that. Like, it's something crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I grew up with both my parents in the picture, like, physically. But where it starts from me and, like, my story with, like, toxic masculinity has to go back to being before I was even born and, like, the upbringing of my father. Mm-hmm. So before my father was even born, when my grandmother was pregnant, 
the father was abusive to um, my grandmother. Um, and before my dad was even born, he wasn't even in the picture. He left. So my dad was born without a father, essentially. So my Nana had raised him for a couple of years. And throughout the first few years of his life, he was brought up by s- several different men, you know, so he couldn't identify who this father figure was. And like, we're talking like each year, there's like a different person. And then finally he came across as one man or my grandmother came across one man and they ended up getting married and he adopted my son. So my son, or my adopted my father <laughs> and my, my father took his name. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My son, my son. And that was kind of like getting into these father's bigger, but then there was some issues happen and they ended up getting separation. So not only has there been no father figure now, he now has an image of like a turmoil marriage already at the young age of like seven years old, eight years old. My grandmother finds another man, they get married. And after being married, once they got married, it wasn't just like she was marrying a man that, and that was it. It's this guy already had two other kids, one of them being a boy the same age as my father. And the two of them were just absolute rascals. They grew up in Keswick. And back then, Keswick, Ontario, was known for being incredibly rambunctious, kind of on the countryside of boys. Mm-hmm. And uh, with boys growing up in that, you know, in the 70s and 80s, like they talked with their fists rather than anything. So it was always like this competition of who can be the stronger kid, stronger boy. And since there was two boys now into the family, one of them wanted to be seen as their kid. They didn't, there was a competition always of who was going to get the spotlight as their child. Mm-hmm. But they were both bad. And there was a sister in the mix too, and she wasn't that great either. So three of them were always wreaking havoc. They end up getting divorced again. So now the only father figure my dad can refer to is that last husband and, and he actually still has a relationship with them now moving forward like they they go hunting together they talk all the time and they're great but why that's so important is because once i was born and he had turned just turned 30 it was like his prerogative to make sure that i was going to grow up with a father and he was going to implement everything that he wished was implemented onto him as a kid from a father mm-hmm. And what comes from that is that he essentially is starting from scratch. He doesn't really know what a father is. So he has now dealt with the cars of having to learn on the fly. And once you learn the fly, all you can really refer to is history and how men are supposed to be. So he just carried those ideologies and placed it onto me my entire life. Or so stereotypes as well, probably like looking to like what's in media as well. For sure. Absolutely. Exactly. What you see on TV, what you see in movies, all of that. And now he just, he just has a, a boy, someone, something that he's wanted forever. Like he's always wanted his son. And now that he has it, he was like, oh, fuck, what do I do? I'm just going to be strong. I have to be strong. You know what? I'm going to be a very strong man for my family. I'm going to provide, make sure they never go hungry. And I want my kids to also be strong and self-sufficient. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Like that sounds great. But what it came down to is that everything that my father wanted was all what he wanted for me. It was never really about what I wanted to do, my own of my interests. It was he forced me into 
different things that I'm very grateful for. Like he put me into hockey, he put me into karate. He, you know, he did a number of things that I was super grateful for growing up, but it was never really what I wanted to do. And uh, the older I got, the more I started to realize what was going on. Uh, I started noticing that the moment that I had an, a belief or an ideology that was against my father's grain, it was um, immediately, there was aggression, there was frustration from my father, and there was dominance. That was the main thing. He carried like this scare tactic to try and govern me and make me fall into his body of beliefs. So to get really, not really specific, but the main thing that like I was always getting bogged down by my father was that I was a very emotional kid and my parents would always make fun of me so my mom kind of in this too would make fun of me for wearing my heart on my sleeve and they would say that you're not going to go anywhere being a nice guy son like sometimes you got to be a little tougher you know you can't just always show everybody how you're feeling and that stuck with me for a very long time I was basically being villainized for wanting to share my emotions I wanted to cry because like kids cry but like I was told not to mm-hmm. I wanted to tell a girl when I'm like eight years old how I feel about her that I had a crush on her and like no you can't too easy that carried on into high school you know like I was a very emotional person but like it was my father always being like you need to be a strong man strong men do not cry strong men get what they want and by getting what you want is by being you know this very dominant person you'd be the best version so I'm like okay so I tried to try to deal with that <laughs> and like, uh, uh to go on project it says it, it's just so interesting listening because in my mind I'm thinking yeah that's one way to think about that that's mm-hmm. one way in order to get what you want you have to be strong and not cry it's just one way though, you know, and it's yes. so interesting that like you can tell in this story before you move on, just how ingrained that belief is in your dad. Oh, for sure. And With like that- he always had to fight everything for what he wanted too, and like physically. So yeah. like that transcends into how he's going to bring his kid, even if it's not physically, if it's emotionally. Yeah. You know? Sorry, proceed. Continue. Yeah. No. So yeah, so like it just like it got it started from there and then the older I got the more I wanted to push back against my father's beliefs and what I wanted to do so specifically I was pretty good at hockey but like I had a bunch of best friends that are like triple a hockey players some of them actually are even in the NHL right now and my dad I was always like this chubby kid growing up and my dad pushed me so hard to be a good hockey player but I never was that so you remember him having this conversation with me being like son you don't got it you don't got it, so you got to find a hobby that's, um, you know, it's going to make you a cool person. And, you know, when you think about your friends who aren't in the NHL later on, they're not going to have a hobby. So I want you to have a hobby nice and young. And, uh, you know, you could probably get chicks this way rather than being this hockey player. I was like, okay, well, what's that? He's like, you should probably learn guitar. I was like, okay, yeah, guitar sounds great. I would love to play guitar. And to buy me a guitar on my 10th birthday. No. And that was the best gift. Yeah, yeah. It was the best gift oh I've God. ever received. You know, fast forward 16 years, I'm still playing guitar all the time, mm-hmm. you know. So I fell in love with the guitar. 
and the more I wanted to play, the more I wanted to learn, the more I dove into it. And then I started singing. And once I started singing and playing guitars, I became my father's jukebox. So like now me and him are having this better relationship because it's not all about hockey. But then I realized that like I was kind of good at it. You know, I was, I don't have a bad singing voice. It's a very expressive way for me. And like my father was supporting it. So I was like, okay, this is cool. Like, this is great that like I have an outlet now. But the more I dove into it, I started going into musical theater and more acting. And I started, you know, kind of veering off, veering off of like my father's track of like what a manly man does. You know, it's like, okay, so I'm like, maybe you shouldn't sing too many love songs. I'm like, okay. But the more I'm. Sorry. Go on. I was going to say it's interesting because it's like, do this, but under these confines. Like, mm-hmm. play guitar, but only this way. Because if you do it this way, it's bad. You know, yes. if you do it this way, it's too much. But stay in these lines, and that's okay. And yeah, again, for- just reflective of, you know, the beliefs that are ingrained in your dad that came from somewhere. And again, I'm thinking, yeah, that's one way to look at it. But why is it bad? Why do we label it as bad to go beyond that, you know, to express emotion through song, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, sorry. For sure. And he should have, like, you should also know that, like, once you dive into this world and you become more artistic, there's a lot of things that follow, you know? I'm going to dress differently because now I'm looking up to different artists, too, and seeing how they dress. So along with, like, me singing more and playing guitar, I'm now wearing skinny jeans. I'm now wearing colored skinny jeans. I'm wearing big graphic shirts that are so fucking bold that look ridiculous now <laughs> looking back on it but like back then i thought it was the coolest thing it was a yeah. very expressive way for me you know like that's just what it was and uh you're you finding know? yourself yeah exactly i was trying to find myself but the more that i was trying to find myself and i was going towards this art direction this is where things started getting bad between my dad and i because now it wasn't about me wearing my emotions on my sleeve it was more about me not physically appearing to look like a very strong man. And he didn't like that. Not that he was afraid of me getting bullied around. He just thought I wasn't a proper reflection and representation of him. I wasn't like an extension of his arm. I was something completely different. So, you know, if I was wearing like colored skinny jeans, he'd be like, oh, son, you look pretty gay. You look like a homo, you know? I'm like, like, okay, yeah, yeah. I laughed about it a few times, you know? I just dealt with it. And every time I would sing a song, he's like, what? Don't do that. Like, only fags sing that song. Don't be a fag, you know? And then I told him one year, I was like, I'm going to drop out of grade 11. I was like, I'm dropping out of law, and I'm going to go take musical theater. And he says, says, what the fuck? You're going to go to musical theater? Just know, like, if you go to musical theater and you're dropping law for musical theater, I'm not coming. I'm not going to come to your stupid little play. I I was like, oh, my God this meant all right obviously my reaction wasn't like that then immediately i was pissed i was angry right i I felt betrayed by my own father someone that essentially directed me in this put me into this place Mm -hmm. was now villainizing me for finding you know great interest into it and everything that's been influenced me moving forward like up to that i was now becoming something that he didn't want me to be so he used terms like gay and fag. And then that also was carrying on in school too. Like obviously being an artistic kid and being an emotional kid. I had people also leaving me notes in my locker and saying, hey, faggot, why don't you go suck some dick in the hallway, faggot? 
and this is all me but a certain period of time too where like i've been dating girls the entire time and i'm yeah. just confused where so someone who touches up on this really interesting enough is sean mendes sean mendes yes. obviously is the celebrity he actually grew up in pickering too so we went to the same high school i was a couple years older than, i'm four years older than him so we didn't actually connect in high school but like me and him used to jam and and sing together with a bunch of different people but i only bring him up because he had that issue with media that like people were calling him gay, but he was so torn about it because he didn't want it to make it seem like he doesn't support gay people, mm-hmm. but he just didn't like the idea of being called gay because it was a representation of him. And I felt that too. I felt that all throughout high school. I was not ashamed of any of my gay friends. I was not ashamed to be called gay, but it was so frustrating being called that growing up because it just wasn't who I was. And I already have my father also reinforcing calling me a fag and making it seem like it's a bad thing to be gay or be part of the lgbtq community you know and 2009 2010 like that wasn't wasn't prominent in small town high schools like my own oh 10 years ago that was long after i was in high school but i was just having this conversation with a friend when when i was in high school in the late 90s (laughs) (laughs) early 2000s no one talked about it at all there was just no language around it and I was also just thinking now, along with Shawn Mendes, I remember the same thing happened to George Clooney in the media because he, of his age, and he wasn't married yet. And then there was this whole thing surfacing that was like, maybe he's gay. And George Clooney released a very lovely statement, which I would encourage you all to Google because I don't know it offhand. But essentially he was like, it's an honor for me to be associated with the LGBTQ community in this way. I'm I'm not gay, but I'm an ally. And then the media, of course, had a heyday with that. They were like, he's lying, all this crazy stuff. I'm sure this kind of thing happens all the time. Celebrities are not. Uh, so interesting. And to tie this back to you. <laughs> Sorry, proceed. I feel like I keep interrupting you because I... No, I it's important that, because but... you're touching on points that are, you know, are these are all points of conversation that need to be talked about. So it's there's no shame in interjecting. This is an open floor, right? It's, but it's interesting that you were saying that like he was using the term ally because I identify myself as an ally as well too. But I remember in high school, there was an LGBTQ alliance group and I went to one meeting and then people saw me go to that one meeting. Right. And that further went, you know, it further fueled the fire of this idea that Nolan was gay. Yeah. And I was... Not that I wouldn't, I don't like to use the word popular in high school, but I guess it was like I was more prominent kid in high school. Like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of people knew me. I was very well off with teachers, but I also had a bunch of friends, and I was part of all. I was a leader, director of like leadership and like students together against racism. So like people did know me, but it almost felt like it was like this polarizing fucking topic that like oh this guy is he's gay yeah and i remember getting being ashamed of it too and i actually stopped going because not just because of them but also because i was afraid to tell my dad that i was going i was going to these alliance meetings because then he would further call me a fag you know the worst part growing up is oh he would hate me for saying this but i think it's important to say it he would always tell me that if i ever came out as gay he would take me up to the hunting camp for a week and spend a week in the bush. And then I'd find out if I was gay or not. 
back then it didn't seem like much but the older i've gotten and reflect on those words fucking it makes me sick to my stomach that my father was even like that i even the way i'm saying father right now is not how i even see my dad today you know that guy is my dad right now but back then i had to refer him as my father right. something very distant very there's a strict boundary that he was just someone that was feeding me and putting you know like providing for me because our ideologies were so far left and far right and he's not even like that today he's such a changed man now but it's important to bring up moments like that and like it's not like he said it once like he said it a few times and it was always just to remind me just a little remind nudge being yes. like hey boy you know if you're gay you're not going to be so it's interesting because as a third party and someone who's worked a lot on their own healing now i can recognize that language as some like there's so much hate in that languaging and i feel like there's maybe even some self-hate there self-judgment there's fear in that kind of languaging there's a lot of control issues obviously as well however i can identify that now but as a kid you know it's so hard I can't even imagine navigating that kind of language. It just would feel painful. I, I think painful is the, the best word that I could use. And that, that's probably how I would feel if I was in your position. I would just feel painful and confused because you can't, you're like, why is my dad not accepting me? Why is he trying to make me into someone I'm not? That hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, not, and to I, make light of, not to make light of this topic, but like I, <laughs> there was a few times growing up where like I would slam the door in my bed and then I'd play, uh, I'd play the song Perfect by Simple Plan. Stop. I don't know if you know that song. And I'd fucking blare it. So I'd, <laughs> oh, man. So I'd blare it so my dad could hear it. Can't be perfect. Oh, my God. I was screwed. Hey, dad, look at me. Think back and talk to me, did I? I was so fucking hilarious yeah, I'm such, it's so good. man that put us in our fields yeah yo, shout out to Pierre Bouvier, Bouvier man that song was a banger huge so, banger oh my god but it's true. Yeah. as kids you want to be accepted by your parents and i was just for saying sure. you're you're seeking for validation all the time all the time parents. and i was just saying this to one of the clients that i work with but as a young kid because of our you know your schema and your worldview as your brain is still developing, if your parent is treating you in a certain way that's negative or mean or bad, often, depending on the age of the child, you don't have the mental capacity to say, oh, it's my mom's issues. That's why she's treating me like that. Mm. As kids, you internalize, you're like, oh, I'm bad. It's me. And then you carry that with you until you... (laughs) You know, you can carry that with you for a really long time. And I mean, this is a good example of, of I mean, I'm sure you, you probably had moments where you were like, am, I'm bad, you know, what's, for sure. what's wrong with me? Why am I not different? I know I've definitely felt that way as a, a child. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have that, you know, inner narrative conversation, regardless of where it's coming from, but just wanted to bring that up because I think it's super relevant. Um, For sure. Back to simple plan. <laughs> back to simple yeah. plan. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, that's incredibly important that you bring that up too. Because, you know, you don't, 
your parents often like to reserve some information that don't pertain to us. My dad had this famous line being like, he would, anytime I'd ask him about his life, a lot of times it was like, hey dad, have you ever smoked marijuana before? And I knew he did growing up, but he'd be like, son, it's not about me. It's about you. All right. And he would say that all the fucking time. Um, But you know, it's, it wasn't just him not wanting to tell me a story because it wasn't appropriate. Now that I'm, how old am I? 26? 26. I've now realized that it's not just him not wanting to share these inappropriate stories. It's the fact that he's actually have been burying them. I feel like he's been burdened with his past so significantly that he's tried to cover it up and he's tried to really suffocate it to the point where it never comes up. But now that he's now dealing with a son that is a massive mental health advocate, that is an advocate for anti, you know, masculine toxicity. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? can't say it. (laughs) Yeah, I I know. I know. But it's true. Now that he's battling with a son that now he considers me as his best friend, he has had to change. He really has had to change and look inward. And even this is even like six months ago was the first time he ever opened up to me about having to actually look into his past and try and figure out why he acts the way he does and has said the things he said in the past. He's becoming a change or he is a changing man, which gets the point is that it is absolutely never too late. Even if this conversation is coming up a little bit later than it should be in families or households, it's change can still happen as long as you're being active with it and you're being sensitive with information, you know? I agree with you. It's never too late to change. Mm-hmm. That being said, I mean, I think it's, it is a sad, it can be a sad reality in some cases when you want that change, for example, for your parent, and then they don't want, they don't want to change. Yes. And that's yeah. hard. I mean, should, should I bring my mom into this? But you, we love our parents regardless usually of how they've treated us. A lot of people want what, I mean, I don't want to speak for the general population, but I would say typically we love our parents. It doesn't matter what's happened. We also want them to support us. We want their love. We would love for them to grow along with us. And sometimes that can be challenging to speak to a different, um, you know, a different situation like when your parents don't want change for themselves or they don't want to learn they don't want to grow maybe their own fear or past hurts are keeping them too stuck that they can't move and it's my point in in sharing that was I think it's so great that your dad has taken steps to self-reflect it's an act of courage it's very brave Mm -hmm. and I think it's great that he's worked on those things to meet you in a place of understanding that's really that like takes a lot <laughs> oh for sure it was definitely he gave it a a valiant effort <laughs> or is giving it a valiant effort mm-hmm. you know it's not incredible <laughs> it's not perfect baby um, steps baby steps yeah. nor does he remember half the things that he said he also worked a very high stress job and he often just like, took it out on like me because i was his only boy I have three sisters, by the way. So being the only, 
So yeah, so that definitely plays a thing. Having three sisters and me being the only boy, I had to be the most boy-like, you know? But like, I'm raised by three fucking sisters and a mom. Obviously, like, I'm going to be in touch with my femininity, you know? Obviously, I'm going to be a little bit more emotional with because like I... You know, that's just how I was written. My dad was working 10-hour days, so I spent most of my time with my sisters and my mom. Uh, on that topic of being around a lot of women, I mean, like I mentioned before with my twin brother, it was just me, my brother, my mom. Devin, mm -hmm. like I mentioned before, super sensitive, very emotional, wears his heart on his sleeve. <laughs> and it's, that's what I love about him so much, you know? And I, but I think it's so interesting because growing up, it's not like we're thinking about that. And our childhood, Devin and I have been through a lot. And we ended up on the Food Network 2013. And in what? the, uh, this is going somewhere. So we end up on the Food Network 2013. We're in our first audition. There was like six rounds of auditions. And they were filming us talking. And obviously it's for TV. They want the juicy stuff. So they start asking us, they're like, what was your childhood like? La, 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 la. And we're just sharing a little bit of the ups and downs of our childhood. And then out of nowhere, Devin's like, oh, yeah, I was, you know, it was really hard being the only man in the household. I felt an immense amount of pressure to provide. You know, once I got old, old enough to start working, I felt like I had to take care of everyone. And I felt like I needed to provide, needed to, quote unquote, man up. And he said, I felt like I couldn't do it. And it was so challenging for me. I think he's tearing up as he's sharing this. And he started drinking, I think from a young, like we were both 16, he started drinking. And I think he mentioned how this tied into his drinking problem. But it was literally the first time in my life that I'd heard him talk like that. And I remember thinking, where did that come from? Mm. You know, where did he get that narrative from? Obviously, I mean, social media wasn't a thing back then. So... Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just thought it was like, <laughs> wow, he's been carrying this belief inside him this whole time. It's coming out in a, you know, Food Network audition. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, and I just had no idea. And it's, you know, maybe a nod to pop culture and what's in magazines, what's in TVs, what's on, on movies with how For men sure. are portrayed and that whole narrative which, I mean, it could be a good segue into what we're going to talk about in regards to media, but I want to make sure that you have said, <laughs> I don't want to like, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that is a perfect segue into what we're talking about, because I think it's really important that we establish what it looks like, you know, because it, yes, it is like a, a feeling. It is something that is a narrative that has been deeply embedded into just culture it seems like it's just like a global concept you know masculinity what a man looks like how a man should act but there is an actual physical representation of men that have been portrayed throughout pop culture throughout time that has definitely impacted and further perpetuated this idea of what a man should be if we went back to like golden age cinema mm -hmm. like way back when it's a little rapey to be honest with you pretty fucking gross like i have a, <laughs> I have a hard time watching some golden age classic movies because i can't stand the way men are talking to their women i think yeah. it's disgusting 
but that's also something that ties into the toxic masculinity because yeah. it was always that men were the providers mm -hmm. they worked so their wife didn't and can just stay home cook and clean that's a double issue right there obviously that's for a whole other podcast but that was a stereotype that was already being pushed on us on the agenda so it's like okay men have to work and they have to be miserable you know and then when they come home they should expect all these things from their partner and they're going to have kids and the boy is going to be raised in the same way told to work hard be given this job and do the same thing and just pass that on that's like way back way back when obviously 40s 50s 60s mm -hmm. and at the same time you know with music uh back then it was all about you know frank sinatra we're dealing with the crooners so even though they're being very emotive about how they feel towards a woman and through song they still were portrayed as this very slick sly guys that have a, a sharp tongue you know that can speak their way to any way and like that was also became part of the stereotype of men is that like you have to be well put together you need to be professional you need to be sufficient in your own way and then you know where does it go from here if we were to fast forward Let's go back to the 90s. I'm thinking what James does Bond it look like? also. James Bond, huge one. Classic. <laughs> Classic, man. Yes. You Indiana know. Jones. <laughs> mm -hmm. And very strong men, you know, male leads. There's, give me another one. Who else is there? I mean, those are the, those are the first two that popped into my head. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're good ones. Yeah. But but it's it's there you go. It's a trope. Like every man with a strong man lead is they have they fall into those perfect characteristics of what a strong man should be, right? And then same thing when it comes into music. So with the rise of rock and roll was all about like start with the Beatles, who were just these young crooner, handsome men. They took over the world. Then you went to Elvis, who also was a Christian crooner. Um, but then when we got into the realm of like the late 80s and the introduction of glam rock, so we're talking uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie, Elton John as well. This is when that narrative started being questioned. That's when it was being challenged for the very first time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Elton's the it man. Being, yeah, it's the man. And it was being challenged. And obviously there was drugs involved too. And and that led to experimentation during that time. But it was the first time where in pop culture, we were seeing male leads, front men of bands, dressing like women. They're very androgynistic. They were no longer falling into the tropes of what a man should look like, you know, leather or like a suit or lots of chains and hair on their chest. These guys were well-kept. They were <laughs> slim. They wore tight leather bodysuits that were purple, red, pink, whatever, you name it, you know? And that was the first time that it was kind of the narrative being questioned. They received tons of backlash for it. But there were also from that time was the birth of a community that felt so aligned with the narrative that they were trying to push forward. And that's, kind of, that's what I think accredits to like the first time, you know, toxic masculinity was being uh, challenged. Mm -hmm. was during the era of glam rock and that was uh, 80s right yeah late yeah. 80s maybe maybe early 80s and 70s kind of thing on um, this glam rock uh glam rock topic mm -hmm. 
I was raised in a like fundamentalist evangelical Christian church. I went to Bible camp, which I actually ended up really loving despite the narrative that was being imposed upon us. But I made a really good, so my first friend ever actually, we met when we were born, our moms were friends. He ended up working at this camp with me and he was, he's a very, very talented, gifted musician. And so we both worked at this Christian camp lost touch for a few years, came back and we were both drinking a bunch, partying, just exploring ourselves outside of the, you know, church and how we were raised. Mm-hmm. Get really close. And I remember we met up for coffee in Toronto and he was like, I'm going on tour uh, in LA. He had started wow. this band, but it was, so I, at the time it was just Facebook. That was the social media thing. And I was following along on his tour on Facebook and he was pushing the envelope, you know, from where we were coming from. He was, he started to wear eyeliner. He had longer blonde hair. So he was putting it into little ponytails, sometimes wearing oh. shirts, glitter, you know, and obviously coming from the church. So, and people knew that we were close. My inbox started filling up. People are like, oh, is Dan gay? What's happening? And my mm. first response was always like, who fucking cares, you know? <laughs> Dan's been exactly. living his best life on tour in LA with his bands. He's exploring his own creativity. And I just mm-hmm. think it's so interesting because despite how talented he was as a musician, the first question people were asking was, is he gay? Or why does mm-hmm. he look like that? And what about what he's doing? What about how he's breaking free? What about how he's traveling? What about yeah. the music he's making? And it's just like, so like, shout out to Dan, wherever you are. I haven't talked to Dan yeah. in years, but Dan I was is actually, a good one, you know? I was just guy. shooting with a friend that had probably a very similar story, not even story. He was modeling for this photographer that's on the rise. And the photographer is one of his friends and his group of friends also another form of toxic masculinity is in the hip hop. So hip hop obviously is the forefront of pop culture now. A lot of style trends come from there. It's, you know, perfectly in line with NBA, which is also probably the most popular sport in the world right now. Mm-hmm. So all through hip hop and there's always been the idea of gang violence and perpetuating this idea that you got to be having all these half-naked women twerking around you with and fucking money fl- floating down from the air and you're smacking ass and smoking these blunts drinking henny that is like the male st- that's like the male stereotype in in hip-hop it is that's like that's what it's been for a very very long time but now there's been a rise of these different types of musicians that have also tried to push the envelope you know someone dye their hair crazy colors you know i immediately think of i don't know if you know these rappers but lil uzi vert lil yachty a bunch of lils a lot of lils uh juice world who you just yeah. passed recently the late yeah. juice world um they all have different colored hair they wear all these piercings and they all grew up listening to like scene emo music like we're talking like the used secondhand serenade yeah. Mayday Parade, you know, yeah. like they yeah. grew up to that, but they have now put that into hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. So hip hop is kind of changing. The image of hip hop is a lot more, uh, I would want us to use the word, this may be problematic, but I think it's a little bit more progressive in terms of the acceptance of what 
a strong male hip artist looks like. Mm -hmm. To get back to my story though, my buddy was shooting with this friend who in their crew, they kind of reek that masculinity. And he's just starting out. So he asked his friend to like take some photos. So yeah, he's modeling and they're trying to throw in some ideas back and forth. And my buddy, he goes to the photographer being like, you know what? I actually, I want to wear a crop top. Yeah, I think I'm going to wear a crop top. So immediately takes off his shirt and asks for scissors. And the photographer was like, nah, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, Whoa. what are you, I ain't trying to shoot you like that. And keep in mind, my friend, he, he just dyed his hair blonde. He paints his nails. I think it's important too that I identify him as, uh, you know, objectively, he just looks like a very stern, strong black man. Yeah. And specifically with black men, the whole idea of toxic masculinity is a lot more deeply rooted than as, you know, as a white cis man. Not to say that I'm not a white cis man. I come from half Filipino and indigenous as well. And so it's, you know, they, the, this idea of a strong black man is far more troubling, mm-hmm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of several different narratives. They're already coming from a very oppressed place and now they're coming to the forefront. So now they're put on this agenda having to be a very strong polarizing people. But they're told many times that you can't be emotional. You just have to do what society tells you to do and you follow that narrative and so you can be successful and then you can become your person afterwards. Yes. You know, that's what they're told. But my boy, he doesn't want that. He doesn't give a shit. This guy paints his nails. He dyed his hair blonde, platinum blonde. Not even like a little like caramel. This guy went platinum blonde. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he goes, yo, I want to cut my shirt and wear a crop top. And again, the photographer was super against it. It was like, I'm not going to shoot you. Like, I don't want to collaborate with you if you're going to do this gay shit, you know? And him and this photographer, who was his boy, was also his friend. He would just cut him immediately being like, nah, this is not, this is not what I need in my life. You know, men can wear crop tops. Men can wear, I can paint my nails. I can have my hair blonde. What about Jimi Hendrix? That man was wearing mesh crop tops, you know, like he was, he was really trying to challenge this, you know, this. Status quo. Is that the right term? The status quo? Sure. Yeah. The status quo of a man and specifically the black man, you know, and I, when he told me that story, I just immediately, I just wanted to tip my hat and be like, yo, that's crazy. That's very courageous of you to do, especially to one of your closest friends, because I find that opening, challenging your close friends are probably one of the hardest things that you can do. So hard. Yeah. And I mean, Damn, what keeps popping into my mind is, well, that person, that photographer, not your person, you know, we live Mm -hmm. in a world where some people hold those viewpoints and other people don't. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, thanks, next. You know, but it's hard when you have, if you have a history with them, if you've known them for a really long period of time. Um, Of course, it's not as easy as (laughs) saying thank you next, but I keep thinking too, He's not a black man, but uh, Harry Styles and everything that has been surfacing recently, I mean, over the past year or so in the media about him. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about, well, why is he dressing like that? Wanting to put labels on it. I was flipping through a magazine. He was photographed wearing a gown, which mm-hmm. was so dope. <laughs> I'm so here for it. But of course, 
I think once that image was released, you know, people aren't okay with it. And I was, this, this thought was surfacing as you were sharing about your own family, but side story that's connected. I went to this energy, energy healer, like isn't even the right term for her. Cause she's so much more than that. Like what she does is rooted in physics and neurobiology and neuroplasticity, but essentially energy as well. And she was saying, she was saying, you're carrying stuff from nine generations back that like doesn't belong to you like fear worry anxiety and she said but the good news is that i can tell you know you're here to create change you're here to break cycles and sharing this because i feel like you know like your friend who is dying his hair platinum blonde as a black man painting his nails He's here to break cycles, to like shake things up, you know, to create mm-hmm. new paths. And that's what I really love about this generation. People are starting to take action, even amidst feeling afraid. And it, that's what gets me really excited, you know. There- oh, man, it's so beautiful. You put it perfectly. You know, it's uh, as incredibly challenging of a year it's been it has come with a lot of growth mm-hmm. within people it's it's forced a lot of people to look inwards and then has made them think on how they want to project who they are outwards and this has been you know the perfect time to actually do so and push that agenda forward and um, i'm all i'm here for it going back on harry styles i gotta go back i gotta bring yeah, it back one quick second. About harry i love harry i love harry you know I am a, I'm an OG 1D fan. I don't really talk about it too oh, much, but like, I, my I, think, God. I think I can recite a few songs front to back. Every time we embarrassing me. I'm about to dance. Shoot. <laughs> they're all excellent uh, individual artists as well. Yes, they're all very cool. Big, and big One Direction fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I don't even know what I was going to say. I'm just so enamored now by the, the thought of them. Of Shoot. Harry Styles, though. Yeah, very cool, right? Very cool guy. I <laughs> I love that Vogue cover. I thought that was obviously yes, very courageous of him. And like, yeah. yeah, it was Vogue. And I don't know if you saw, I don't remember what her name is. She's a news reporter, broadcaster. Her name is Wendy something rather I'll look it up but it in the show notes <laughs> yeah she released some tweets about uh harry styles wearing a gown on this magazine cover is an abomination to the man what uh, the concept of a man yeah no. and, th- and then she tweeted right after bring back manly men what and all ob- yeah obviously most polarizing shit like it went viral like Gross. you need to see i can't believe you see these tweets no. but like i was repulsed i was so fucking mad that someone with such a massive voice in media can further bash and perpetuate this negative agenda against, you know, men trying to change things, you know, trying to shake shit up. I think Harry Styles, obviously, because he's a celebrity, he is only one representation of advocates like that, of men trying to change the concept and idea of what a man is, Mm -hmm. you know? He is the most extreme version because he has the following he has. But it also, on the other side of the spectrum, 
it does start within and talking to your own circle and talking to people around you about, you know, having a conversation around it too. You can't expect things to change on a large scale without you changing your own circle first and letting that circle, the radius of it grow and the circumference of it grow and further reach outwards and outwards and hope that it, that same message transcends onto other circles, grows even further from there. You know, when I grew up, it was always a thing to say like, oh, that's so gay. And it being, yeah. you know, that aside from it, obviously putting negative light on the LGBTQT community, it also was just another way of saying, oh, you're being girly, you're being feminine, you know? That was a very just easy, lazy fucking way to do that. Yeah. But even confronting your friends being like, yo, don't say that shit. Don't say that, like, that's gay. You don't need to say that. That's such a lazy word, you know? And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Challenging your friends and challenging small antics that are, again, deeply embedded into just the culture is exactly where it needs to start. That's the opposite spectrum. You obviously have Harry Styles there, you have that this, mm-hmm. and then you have people in the middle that are like me, you know, too, that like, I look like an average Joe. Sure, I like to be stylish and like, keep up with trends, but I'm very open with this kind of conversation and with this kind of dialogue. I think it's incredibly important that it, it happens because, you know, even though we may not have large followings, I at least can encourage the next person that listens to this to also want to have and hold this conversation and carry this dialogue. And then they can carry it on elsewhere too. If this conversation isn't being had, it won't ever happen. You know, it's incredibly important to do it on small scales too. Well, it's like, it's almost like a, my, my therapist, okay, two things. Shoot, what was I going to say before my therapist? Um, oh, <laughs> you got so excited. I did, yeah. So first therapist, second strength is what, what I'm going to tie into this. But my therapist, it's like the ripple effect in a way. Micro will affect macro. But <laughs> in past therapy sessions, I've been like, when I do something, it doesn't matter. Who am I making a difference for? And she tells the story of, a, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing, but a kid cleaning up a beach and there's all these fish that have washed ashore but there's so many and these two strangers come up and the child is picking up each fish one by one throwing them back into the ocean and the couple or the two strangers are like what are you doing you'll never make a difference in the way that you're moving and the child picks up the fish and says I made a difference for that one throws it in I made a difference for that one, throws it in. Mm. And I love that. She's told me the story so many times. And I love that analogy because it's everything that you do on a micro level of will does affect, it can ripple out and affect on a macro. And the second thing that I was, that, that was a heavily paraphrased story. I'm sure there's like, I, uh, the parable <laughs> is like written somewhere on the internet in a much more eloquent way, but <laughs> that's my hacks version. But um, the second thing I think is important too, within your inner circles, within your friend groups is what are you defining strength as, you know, strength uh, can I look like that. different ways. And I've been thinking about this a lot because I just released this run video that is, I feel is badass. And I'm like, yeah, I love that exploration of strength that looks this way. But I've, of course, want to speak to that other side. You know, I, I want to continue releasing videos that show people crying and show people breaking down or show people opening up because that is also strength. 
you know, and one is not higher than the other, you know, there's just different forms of strength. And I think Mm -hmm. staying in that lane, you know, we're, we're like, yeah, men chop wood and punch each other. And that's what strength is wrong. (laughs) Just having those small conversations being what does strength mean to you in your life? What does it mean in your relationships? Could be useful as well. Yes, I love that. I think defining strength, um, because often people are just going to project what they think of you onto them. But if you can let the world know and let your people know how you identify as being strong as or what it looks like, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. It, it's all on you to be the representation of how you feel inside and then put it onto your physical self. That's so true. It's so beautifully worded. Also, LOL. <laughs> Remember when we said we we're going to try and keep this under 45 minutes? <laughs> Is it 46 minutes already? Oh, we've gone an hour. What? Crazy. Wow. Time flies. Okay. Time does fly. Uh, I feel like um, there's so many other useful topics that we could cover in later podcasts as well. But yeah, um, yeah. is anything surfacing for you before we press end? Well, first, just thank you for inviting me on to and, you know, allowing, you know, giving me a platform to use my voice again, even further uh, past my own reach. Obviously, during the pandemic, I've not really seen many people and I have fallen victim in a good way to kind of distancing myself from social media and I haven't been posting and sharing as much and I feel really good about it, but it also doesn't really allow me to kind of share much dialogue with that. So being invited here is very kind of you. Thank you so much. It's always nice seeing you too, obviously. (laughs) Through camera, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for your, I mean, I love your honesty and you've always been so honest and always been so willing to share. And that's something that um, inspires me. I feel very thankful to know you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And just really thankful that we could meet here tonight and chat about this. For anyone listening that wants to work with Nolan, he's an amazing photographer. As he mentioned before, he's uh, also a boxing coach. I'll link all of your, what's the word (laughs) of Contact I'm, not using, I'm not using social media but follow me anyways right now you yeah, know. <laughs> like I'll I can link how you can get in touch with him if you'd like to chat with him further even about toxic masculinity and the like but uh Nolan's an OG so he'll I feel like he'll be doing content on move to heal for a long time also That's the plan. just to plug that amazing video you made um it's on the move to heal project IG page and as well on your Instagram too, but made, Nolan made a really beautiful video on, on boxing. You're like dropping truths in that video. I yeah, love what it. Mean, what it means to be angry. Yeah. 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 What it means <laughs> to be angry. Yeah. It's so good. So check that out. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. Nolan, I'm going to press end, but stay on the, stay on the zoom so we can sure. cap. But um, to everyone else, see you later. <laughs> See ya. See ya.